0: This afternoon's scripture is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses one through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go to work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired, who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who who was hired last, the same as I gave you? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.
1: There will always be people who get more than you, have more than you, are better than you, work less than you, get more recognition. It's a basic truth in life. And one's ability to recognize this could be seen maybe as the measure of one's level of maturity. It's this simple. The kid yells, that's not fair. The parent responds, life is not fair. Now, I don't think ever in the history of parent-kid dialogue has a kid ever paused for a moment and thought, hmm, life is not fair. Okay, I understand that now, and I see that there is inequity in this situation, and that does not benefit me. However, I can see that in a different situation that inequity might actually fall in my favor. I don't think that's ever happened. No, usually it goes like this. That's not fair. Life's not fair. That's not fair. Well, that is not fair. Usually they go for volume instead of reason. Well, it may be a truism that life is not fair, but it doesn't mean that fairness does not exist. As a matter of fact, while parents are trying to teach their kids that life is not fair, They are, at the same time, trying to teach their kids to be fair, to play fair. So, and kids learn very early how to be fair. I mean, you give two kids a chocolate donut and a butter knife, and they get right at it. They assume that usually that each gets an equal amount. And in order for them to both feel that the division has been made fairly, one gets to divide the donut, and the other one gets to choose which half he wants first. So, we teach kids, life is not fair, but you should be. It's a simple lesson, but what underlies it is not. Fairness is this concept that is studied in mathematics and game theory and computer science and psychology and theology, genetics, rabbinic writings, and first person shooter forums. I don't know if it's studied in first person shooter forums, but. One thing that is key to the ability to determine fairness is controlled variables. Now, with the donut, it's pretty simple, right? The variables are the donut and the kids. One donut, two kids. Or, like in a game of hide and seek, fairness requires that you close your eyes and count the same to the same number when it's your turn to be it. That way, everyone has the same chance. Telling a kid to be fair assumes that there are variables that the kid can control. Now telling a kid that life is not fair is an acknowledgement of all the many, many uncontrollable variables. It's not fair that some people live in safe homes with plenty to eat while others are homeless and starve. There's a lot of variables in that, uncontrollable variables. Well, you could argue that there are very controllable variables when it comes to housing and homelessness hunger, and like, so if every human's highest value was that everyone should have a safe house and enough to eat then there could be some grand redistribution of wealth and food and the building of infrastructures needed to make that happen but getting every human being to consider that the the immediate highest value would be kind of hard I mean, people have tried it see, another key to fairness is An agreed upon worth or value. Now, that's what I wonder is this parable today just all about different measures of worth? This is the setup. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. He bargains with the up and atom workers, and they agree on the usual daily wage. He sends them to the vineyard, the landowner then goes out again at nine, noon, three, and five o'clock each time encountering idlers and inviting them to work in his vineyard. When these latecomers, late sweet sleepers, wake-up fixers who need to earn a little extra something, with them he does not bargain, he just tells them, go into my vineyard and I'll pay you what's right. Now, first of all, why does this landowner need so many day laborers? Is it harvest time? If it's harvest time, how could there be so many idlers? Wouldn't every landowner need some kind of help? Secondly, who are all these workers that didn't get hired in the morning? Were they not there when the landowner came out first in the morning? I mean, surely he would have hired them, right, if they were there? And then, like, why does this landowner seem so desperate to get laborers into his vineyard? He goes out four times. I mean, does he really have that much work to do? You'd think if he did, you know, he could, like, plan better. And then finally, the gap, the one that causes all the trouble, is he says that he will pay the workers who come later, he will pay them what is right. How is what is right determined? What calculation is used? I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes time to pay up, the landowner he pays the last hired first and works his way back to the up and comer laborers, up and atom laborers. And he pays the daily wage to those who worked for an hour the whole daily wage, the ones who just worked for an hour. So those who got up early are thinking, well, imagine what we're going to get then if they got for an hour's work a whole day's wage. But as it turns out, he pays everybody the same. They all get the same, the usual daily wage. Now, the first uppers, they're outraged. And this is where the hearer is right there with them. He said... He bargained with the first guys to pay them the usual daily wage and then he told everyone else that he would pay them what was right what is fair Well you know you don't need to be a first century Palestinian to figure out what is fair here Now in my rooting around and preparing for this sermon I found some kind of some debate of course on what the usual daily wage meant but it seemed that a denarius was the going rate and that would barely provide a subsistence, subsistence living for a family. So the first laborers worked 11 hours. They were paid one denarius. That means the laborers that started at 9, 12, 3, and 5 would receive their rightful percentage of one denarius. That is what is right. That is what is fair. That is just. It seems, however, though, that justice is not a good way of calculating the ethos of the kingdom of heaven that righteousness does not define the contours of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not fair. Jesus in this parable is subverting the here's deeply rooted notion of what fairness is, of how or why the world works. If people come to learn that one is paid the same no matter how long one works, then won't everyone stay in bed past noon, wander out around five, and then work one hour and get paid? What would their incentive be to work a full day? How would any work get done at all? The vineyard would collapse and ruin. If this practice spread, the entire economy, society, would crumble. Well, maybe society crumbling is part of the plan on the way to the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. It's a hard thing to admit that people's value is measured purely in economic terms. But it's even harder, maybe, to imagine another way. Does Jesus want to undermine, like, Western capitalism as a measure of ushering in the kingdom of heaven? Is that what this is about? Or maybe this isn't about economics at all. Maybe this is about the kingdom of heaven. Maybe it's about the nature of who God is. In the story right before this one, a rich man comes to Jesus and asks him, What good deed must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' reply reflects the system of value calculation of the kingdom of heaven, not the value calculation of the rich man, where worth is based on earning. Jesus says, good? Good deed? Why are you talking about being good? There is one who is good, and that is God. So don't presume. So he challenges the man with his own calculations and says, okay, if you think that you can good your way into the kingdom, then keep all the commandments. And the man says, I already have. So Jesus says, okay, if you want to be perfect, and here's where Jesus is kind of messing with him, because Jesus doesn't care about perfect. The man's calculation cares about perfect. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. This apparently was too much, too much good. He could not be perfect, so he thought he was lost. Jesus then tells the disciples, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are all like, well, if he can't do it, then who can? They, too, have yet to understand the calculation of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus then tells them straight out, for mortals, it is impossible but for God's all things, God, all things are possible. He's telling them that you cannot work your way or good your way into the kingdom of heaven. But they still don't get it. Peter says, well, what about us? We left everything and followed you. What do we get? Do we get in? I mean, if you told him he could get in if he gave everything away, it's only fair that we get in because we have already given everything away. So Jesus starts to mess with them. He tells them, Yeah oh yeah, you will get in. And when you get in, you'll get you'll get thrones, all of you. You'll be able to sit on thrones and you'll judge everybody. And for everything you gave up, you'll get a hundredfold back. You'll be rich. Don't you see you want to work your way into heaven and be able to calculate your reward? So here it is you give up everything, then you get a hundredfold back. You're rich. And then it will be difficult, too, for you to get into the kingdom of heaven. Then he throws in, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Then I think Jesus tells this parable of the vineyard next to try and push the point, to try and reorient their calculation of the kingdom. Everybody gets in on equal footing, not because of the amount of work that they do, but because they're invited welcomed into the presence of God, to live a life that is measured not by what they do, but marked by the very presence of God, which is real life. At the end of the first story, Jesus says that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And at the end of this parable, Jesus repeats that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And I cannot help thinking of the many times in the prophets where God says, I am the first and the last. Maybe after all, there is no calculation for God's presence. There is only God's presence. Let us be in it now.